Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, happy to have Steve Bergman, uh, the head boys basketball coach at Iowa City West, joining us today. Coach, thanks for taking the time and coming on. No, glad to do it. I think it's awesome what you're doing uh getting some publicity out there about uh, some of the great coaches, uh, not me included, of course, but um, there's a lot of great coaches in Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking forward to a chance to uh, talk with you and have you share today, but I'll start you off with kind of a sillier question. Um, if you were on the court and I walk in and I challenge you to some sort of game, some sort of competition, uh, basketball related, what would you want that competition to be? What is your best basketball-related skill um, that you think you have as a player? Well, I'm social security age. I would say it's talking on defense. All right. I can do, I can do that sitting, sitting down. But uh, I, uh, I was always kind of a defensive first guy. I was a good shooter. Um, I, was, uh, I couldn't dribble much. You know, back then, a 6'5 guy wasn't a ball handler. Now, every 6'5 guy thinks he's your point guard. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I, I just learned at a very young age that if I played defense, I got to play. Yep. And so um, I think it's one of the things that my players are horrible at. And we spend more time working on it than probably any skill is just communicating with one another on defense particularly, but offense too. Yep, absolutely. Well, that hey, coach, that makes sense. Get into coaching, great communicator. I think that all checks out. <laughs> um, hey, I'll ask you, uh, just I know I've been at Iowa City West for a long time, ton of wins, great career. Uh, if you could just take me back to your time as a player, how you got into coaching, and then your journey uh, to be where you are today. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I, I think I'm a little bit unusual. My uncle was the basketball coach at Waverly Shell Rock for 30 some years. And so I grew up going to his games. I didn't live there, I lived in Grundy Center, but uh, I think when I was 11 or 12, I decided I was gonna coach basketball. And I'm not sure everybody does that. So I spent a lot of time, even in high school, thinking about, well, how would I do this? How would I coach? And uh, so I got off to a really good start because of him. Uh, I grew up in a town where I don't know if we were great at basketball, but my dad and my uncle played on a state tournament team. I sat on the bench on a state tournament team. <laughs> my cousin, when I was in eighth or ninth grade, played on a state tournament team. So the state tournament was something I heard about when I was a very young kid. I mean, I looked through the scrapbooks where my dad and uncle played, and, and my uncle played at Iowa State with Gary Thompson. So I was sort of immersed in it. My dad was not a coach. My dad sold tractors. Mm -hmm. And I made a, a decision at 11 or 12, I wasn't going to sell tractors. I was going to coach. So played basketball in high school, played basketball in junior college, played basketball at Winona State, uh, started coaching even when I was in college. I had a year where I didn't play and volunteered at Grundy Center. Um, Thought I knew everything, realized probably didn't didn't know very much at that point. But um, you know, I I my first job was uh, I I was a sophomore coach at Regina High School. Then I moved over to to City, and uh, as I like to say, and then I made the move from the minors to the little higher minors to the majors. <laughs> Eventually, ended up at West, but um, I was my first head job was at Monticello. Uh, that's where I got to meet some really influential people in my life, uh, Gordon Runquist and Al Marshall, both really good older coaches that, that I became friendly with. Um, 
took a year and went over to Iceland and coached kids from fourth grade all the way up to firemen. Uh, it was, you know, 38 year old firemen and it was professional basketball technically, but it was very <laughs> interesting. Um, at that point, we didn't have Americans playing in the league, so they brought American coaches over. And so I did that for a year. Um, was at Cedar Rapids Jefferson for a year? And then I went to West Liberty for a year, and then I got the job at West. So I moved around a lot, and I think everyone assumed I'd just keep doing that, but Iowa City West it is. Absolutely. A great journey, Coach. I got a lot of questions to ask. Uh, but first, I'll just – you mentioned a couple names already, uh, but who are some of the coaching influences for you either early in your career or even, you know, as you've been in your career for a while, guys who um, have meant a lot to you or maybe you've stolen some stuff from, whatever it might be? Yeah, you know, my high school coach was a guy named Jim Broussard who left Grundy Center, won the only conference title at that time and, and maybe up until the last year or two <clears throat> at Dubuque Hempstead. And um, then he, he went to Ames and then he got out of coaching. And, uh, but he was very influential. He loved Bobby Knight. He, you know, so back in the mid seventies, he was studying Bobby Knight defensive stuff. And so I got that jammed down my throat when I was, you know, a sophomore in high school. And, and that, that was very, very helpful for me. Um, I, I decided at a pretty early age that I was going to be a defensive minded coach. So that, that worked out perfectly. Uh, you know, I had a lot, you know, I had junior college coaches that some of them I learned what not to do and some of them I learned what to do and, and um, a lot of different styles. And all the time I was sort of filtering it through. Of course, my uncle uh, influenced me, Bud Bergman, um, but yeah, Gordon and uh, Al Marshall, we worked basketball camp at University of Dubuque and um, we, we would go sit at ground round and write out uh, player evaluations. And um, then we, were, we would walk out of there with uh, plays written all over napkins. <laughs> so it, uh, that, that was really good. Um, had some really good colleagues in our league. Bob Fontana comes to mind. I, I'm going to miss people, but I really enjoyed my relationship. Courtney Henderson's a younger guy, but I coached against him and uh, as a player. And uh, now, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to each other. Mike O'Connor at, at Dowling, uh, Justin Ohl. I, I'm the old guy now. They call me. I don't think they call me so much about basketball. I, I like to talk to them about things like seedings and uh, how we run our tournament. And yep. I've uh, never been an officer in the IBCA, but I always make sure Don Logan hears from me every year. So uh, he, he is now a mentor of mine. He's been taking me trout fishing. So that's, that's been great too. But uh, a lot of people, you're going to forget people, but a lot of people, uh, any success I've had goes back to those people. But the one thing that I did that probably helped me become a better coach was I worked Lou Olson's basketball camp out of necessity. Basically, I needed the money. Yep. And I worked four weeks in a row, and he would do. They would have stations at that camp, and I would uh, ask for a different station each time. And so you're teaching eight to ten groups of kids the same skill over and over. And it's amazing by about the fifth group, you've realized, okay, leave this out, add this, and you're getting as much taught in half the time. I learned a lot of that. And later in life, I was at a coaching clinic and Lute was there. And I realized, well, that's where I got that. You know, he was talking about things he was doing. So he and Jim Rosborough, who actually kind of ran the camp, really uh, influenced my coaching in a great deal. Awesome, Coach. A lot of great names there. Um, and like you said, probably many more we could shout out, but I really appreciate you sharing. Uh, my next question has got to be about Iceland. If you could maybe tell me what this experience was, um, how it came to be, that kind of thing. Well, the sales pitch was they had a lot of tall, six-foot, beautiful blonde girls. But <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, John West, who was the coach at Hempstead at some point, was I took his job at the University of Dubuque running a dormitory while I coached at Monticello. Mm -hmm. 
And I was the, he gave me the tennis. I was the head tennis coach at University of Dubuque also, which was interesting. I did play tennis, but I didn't know much about it. And they basically just needed somebody to run a program. And I went to all the frats and said, if you'll play tennis, I'll give you this, this, and this, because uh, we had to have a team. If we didn't have a team, we're going to get kicked out of the Iowa conference. So I was a tennis coach for one year, but John went over to Iceland and his wife got pregnant. And at the last minute, they decided they didn't want to have the baby over there. So I went over in his place and um, it was a great experience. It, it really was. I, it was funny. I had, had a guy who was a good player. He was the fireman I alluded to earlier. <laughs> and about halfway through the year, somebody said, you realize he doesn't understand one word you're saying to him. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding me. He always shakes his head, nods in agreement. And he said, no, he doesn't understand anything you're saying. And so, you know, you, you kind of learn some things about yourself and you learn some things about communicating differently. Um, but it was, it was good for me. You know, after about two months, my bag of tricks were empty. It's like, well, you know, about this point, I'd be ending the season yep. back at home. So we did some interesting things. We just messed around with, at that point, Loyola Marymount was all the rage playing fast and we would do that in practice just to kind of say, okay, if we're ever behind eight points with three minutes to go, this is the way we're going to play. And uh, I hadn't done things like that. I, I, at that point, I was kind of a flex guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we're, we're pretty, pretty much done with that. So I had to start adding things. And that was really good for me. Um, I had a, I had a son who was like in fourth grade and what I realized after a year was it wasn't good for him. So we, yeah, we came back to the United States. It, it was really, he, he had a year where his teacher didn't speak English <laughs> and I'm not sure what he got out of that year, but uh, probably similar to what kids have gotten the last couple of years with the coach. Um, well, that's great. So is that coach, was that like, uh, you described it as technically a professional program, how would you compare that to like how basketball is here in the United States? Uh, they're just trying to get off the ground. What, what did that look like? No, I mean, uh, the club I coached uh, had the guy, he was at the end of his career, but still a very good friend, uh, Torfe Magnuson. He, he's considered the Larry Bird of Icelandic basketball. Okay. He was a, he was a great basketball player. He was 38 or so when I moved in, in, and. uh, but Peter Goodmanson uh, was from the club I coached, and he played for the Lakers for a while. He, he was in the NBA, and it, it was pretty good basketball. Uh, there were no Americans. They, they kind of um, uh, had them, and then they had some issues, and so they got rid of them for a few years. Now, I know several kids I know have gone over there and played or signed contracts there since. So I would say the level is better now, but it was good basketball. Um, there were good players, and um, but it was sometimes the officiating was somewhat inter- interesting, and and uh, we had a plane flight, little plane, and we were going to a town called Aukery, which I was in Reykjavik. Aukery is at the top of the island, and uh, almost on the Arctic Circle, and we get in the plane, and in get these two refs, and they're the guys I just did not like. <laughs> and they're flying on the plane with us to the game and they're going to fly home with us too. So I figured I better get along with them. I kind of started to have a different idea of how to deal with referees when they flew on the plane with you. So. Um, can you make, cause I don't know a lot about it, coach. Can you describe it's a club, uh, how they compare and contrast it maybe to high schools or AU programs here, like how that looks in Iceland, I assume in other European countries as well. Yeah, it's a club. Uh, has nothing to do with the school. Yeah, it's it's a social club and an athletic club. We we had a really good soccer team at that point. Uh, team handball was real big. I had to share the gym a lot with the men and women's team handball uh, teams. Um, I coached fourth graders. Uh, my son was on the fourth grade team. So he's the only one technically I could yell at because I didn't know how to yell in Icelandic. So, <laughs> um, 
it, it was uh, it was interesting. The fourth grade kids didn't speak much English. Most of the adults did. Yep. Um, so there was a 16 year old team and I would go and watch, you know, the younger kids play. They gave me a couple of age levels to coach in the men's team. Uh, I didn't coach. I didn't, honestly, I didn't have a heavy workload there. It, it was, uh, I was almost bored sometimes, but, um, it, it was a good learning experience. I, I needed to get away from here for a few reasons. And I, and I just, uh, it was good to be in another uh, society, another country. Uh, you know, you grow up in Iowa, you don't always see what exactly the world's like. Well, you know, I started to figure it out. You know, it, it was, it was frustrating sometimes when you couldn't communicate with people what you wanted to do, but, um, it was, it was very good for me professionally and as a person too. Awesome. Well, that's a tremendous experience and one that so far in my short time doing this uh, podcast is unique. So I appreciate you sharing about that. Right. Um, Coach, I'll pivot into uh, maybe more basketball specific stuff. Um, You guys have obviously had a a tremendous run. And so most people listening to this have probably seen you play, but I'm going to still ask the question. If you had to describe uh, your team's style uh, in to someone who has not watched you play, how would you attempt to describe that? Well, I think our style is flexible, but there are some inflexible things about what we're going to ask. Um, some years you have better success with what you're going to ask than others. Uh, we're going to fir- be a defensive first team. We're going to try to make it hard for you to score. Some years we're capable of turning you over. Some years we're not. I mean, I have a team coming up that's going to be really big and not overly quick. We're going to focus on how do we make you take tougher shots and get one shot. Where when I had a team of, uh, you know, a couple of McCaffreys and Devontae Lane and David, you know, just long kids, we would play a lot of 1-3-1 and turn you over. Uh, I'm always going to play man-to-man primarily, but I have played some zone too. Um, we're going to be a motion kind of team. We're going, I'm going to be the guy that's a dinosaur and say, that's a horrible shot. Uh, I think sometimes young coaches are afraid to tell kids that's a horrible shot, (laughs) but it, sometimes it's a horrible shot. And sometimes he's like, why I'm wide open. And so you've got to go through, well, here's what's going on in the game. Um, we've played fast. Uh, I know I had a rap a while that we would play slow and then I looked it up and we were in the top five and four a scoring like five out of six years when people were throwing that crap out there so um we would play slow if we have to I, I mean above all we're going to put our kids in a position to have a chance to succeed but we're going to stress defense handling the ball taking care of the ball taking good shots absolutely uh Coach, start on the defensive side. Uh, what are some of the uh, things you're teaching every single year, some of those inflexible fundamentals for you defensively that you're going to do? You know, like you say, you're playing man-to-man most of the time, but even if you're going to play zone, what are some of those things that uh, you're passionate about? Well, the one thing that drives me crazy every time I watch a basketball game is how people guard the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're mainly a forced sideline baseline, although we're almost more just stay in front of your guy and don't give up any straight line drives at this point. Um, but the biggest thing is <laughs> people are in great position and they don't put a hand over the basketball. It just drives me crazy. I watch a college game and you see it 10 times, 10 times a game. And it's like guy was in great position. Why not just put a hand over the basketball? Because the ball's got to come up to be shot. And so that's one thing we stress a lot. And we do a lot of one-on-one, keep them on a side, stay in front, uh, don't get blown by to the middle for sure. Uh, We help really early. We stress helping early. We work really hard on help and scramble. Uh, I don't know what clinic I went to. I went to a clinic and that that coach said great defensive teams are great at scrambling so we do lots of scrambling type drills uh to get back to talking on defense 
you have to you have to talk on defense to scramble. And I've had some teams be great at it. I've had some teams not be so good. Uh, I hope we play hard. I mean, I think uh, we would have a tradition of playing hard and playing smart. But uh, I, I'd like to think we change. Um, you know, I had a lot of success in the 90s. And I got really uh, basketball-wise, intellectually, uh, uninterested in changing or, or doing new things or learning. Uh, I was probably the guy that went to the IBCA clinic at, at Urbandale and sat in Bar Brad Bjorkman's office talking to him instead of listening to speakers. And it was, it was dumb that I did that. I don't know. I just kind of went through a lull where I just wasn't really into trying anything new. And what has really happened in the last 15 years is I've gotten really interested in every couple of years trying something really different. Yeah. Uh, we were always a motion team, uh, blocker, mover, uh, traditional Bobby Knight motion. I got really frustrated with it. Um, we, for the time we put in, you know, okay, three on three, half of a half, let's work on a downstream. For every kid you could teach to slow down, read the defense, and make the proper cut, there were about eight that couldn't. Yep. And um, so we ran our motion a lot. I used to call it uh, jump shot dog crap. It was just moving around, bad movement. Okay, let's just take a crappy shot, you know, instead of working together to get each other a good shot. I, I've always believed that. It's kind of my obligation, especially at a school where I am getting kids recruited once in a while to prepare them for college. So that's the man-to-man's always, this year we probably shouldn't play man-to-man. -man. We're going to learn how to play man-to-man because -man some of those kids are college recruits. And, and the motion I always felt like allowed our kids, we do have a track record of sending kids to college and they play early. And I think, you know, we run a system where we don't stand around much in practice and we don't have stars. I, I, I look back through, I think I've had one kid throughout the years average over 20 points a game. And part of that is I've had more than one good player or two good players, so that helps. But also we just kind of run an equal opportunity motion part of the time anyway. But I was getting frustrated with it. I still believe in motion. I believe in letting kids learn how to play everywhere on the floor. So we went to more of the read and react stuff. I just happened to, uh, we got invited to be part of uh, one of uh, the read and react, Rick Torbett's uh, clinics. Yep. So there I was. So I got to sit with him all the time and talk to him. So we took what he ran uh, over the years have modified it. Uh, we run other stuff too, but that's kind of our motion. Um, and it, it, it allows kids to play everywhere. It allows you, you know, back when I used to run traditional motion, I had a kid like Glenn Worley who could post up small guys and could take a guy out of three point line and, and abuse him if he was big. And so I've had a lot of those kind of kids. Motion allows you to use those maps up. Uh, within a motion concept. So I'm a big believer in, in I do owe them the opportunity. I, it drives me crazy when I have a college coach tell me, yeah, this kid came in and he had never played man-to-man -man in his life. <laughs> and so he's starting, you know, I, I was just talking to Glenn Worley, who's out at Nevada, Reno. And he said, freshmen come in and don't have a clue. And so I hope my guys come in and have a clue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, coach, you kind of describe maybe how your offense, even though it's still motion, has changed a little bit um, over the years. Uh, what about defensively? How has that maybe evolved um, since your early time at Iowa City West till now? Well, we were crazy, crazy, crazy denied. Yep. Then I realized, and again, when I started getting more uh, interested in listening to other people, I happened to go to the IBCA clinic and see uh, Bob Hurley Sr. And Bob Hurley Sr. described his defense. And I'm like, that's what I'm looking for. So when we're not that kind of team, which this year will never be that kind of team where we can get out in the passing lanes, 
he goes, he gaps it on the wings and he denies anything. Once it goes to his side, he denies anything coming out. And I thought, okay, so we're either one or the other. We're either denying everything. And in a couple of years, I think we'll have that kind of team again. Um, but this year we would be a team who gaps everything in the middle of the floor and then denies the ball coming out. I, you know, I, I, I've been a post player most of my life and I know how hard it is to guard the post if you just let the ball go swing from side to side. So I'm, I'm sort of, uh, that's sort of one thing that, that I've changed. Uh, we used to, uh, and I think I got this from him too. We used to uh, three quarter front, uh, a low post. Um, we, we half side, low side front, a high post. The high post stuff didn't change, but he just fronted every post once the ball came below the free throw line. So we started doing that too. And uh, there's just, if you could teach a kid to just not engage, sliding around and fronting is fine, but they all want to engage for some reason. And most of my guys aren't very good wrestlers, so they lose. And um, <laughs> so we just front, we give up some things with that. Um, we've gotten really aggressive with help. Uh, I think earlier, the better. Um, and I would say to sum up our defense, and it's probably always been this way, but I think maybe more so, we need to make you go to plan B or C because you've practiced plan A a lot. And if we can make you do something that you don't do all the time in practice, you're going to struggle. You know, I, I mean, I watched your team play last year. You had a couple of kids who really improvised well. Uh, so if you made him go to plan B, C, D, E, F, those guys would figure it out. But a lot of kids can't do that. And um, so, you know, that it, I, I bounced all over the place there, but it hasn't changed a lot. I've become more flexible based on the kind of players I have. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Coach, what do you feel like has worked well for you in your time practicing those things, uh, getting them to that point defensively over the course of the season? Well, last year taught me that we had a pretty good system for implementing it, and, of course, we didn't get to do any of it. I yeah. mean, we had no summer basketball. The first five weeks of the season, we weren't allowed to practice. Then they called and said, hey, you can practice on Saturday, and by the way, you have a game next Friday. <laughs> and Certainly I, a year. Oh, man. Yeah, it just it didn't work. And I never felt like I had any control over what they were doing. And coincidentally, we only had our seventh man back from the year before. So only two or three kids had ever been at one of my practices. So I think what we do is good. I, I'm worried this year we're still way behind. We could have practiced every day in June and still not caught up. But I'm hopeful that the guys have learned enough now that maybe on their own they can sort of get up to speed a little bit. Um, it, it, I, I'm a big believer in competitive drills. Uh, I did a, I think I did a defensive video and a lot of the things I did in that defensive video were competitive drills. Some I stole, some I just made up. You know, I had a team, um, we were two-time defending state champions, but we lost uh, a really good senior class. So our senior class was basically Wyatt Lowhouse and a bunch of guys who hadn't played. And that team could not finish tough games. I mean, we, we, we had a great record and we ended up winning the state tournament, but we had a huge problem. Every game we lost, we led halfway through the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So I analyzed that, I guess. And, and I felt like part of it was mental. Part of it was just getting a little tougher, you know, which is, is mental and physical. And part of it was just understanding how important every possession was. So we we went up to Wallert and we lost a game just like that, like it was a meltdown the last four minutes. So we happened to have a week off. So I thought about it and I came up with the drill. We called it the Wallert drill. And um, it, it basically, and you can do it any way you want, but I took our first five and I said, okay, you can pick two more guys to be part of the group. 
and uh, you pick them and you got to live with them. We're not going to trade in and out. So, so they would pick two guys and we'd put like 12 minutes on the clock. And I had a manager over there keeping, keeping time. And the JV who loves it is on offense the whole time. And, and we're on defense and we do it the other way around too, but we're on offense and on defense. And if they, if they score, we stop the clock and we have a 30 second lane slide and the clock doesn't start until we're playing again. And if they get a good look, but don't score, it's a 15 second lane slide clock stop. And that first day we did it, it and, and, and to boot, you know, coach uh, Runquist, the older, loves to do this thing called dirty 30, which is a conditioning thing. So we did our 30 minute conditioner and that was the first drill we did. And we're normally our conditioner, we follow with some shooting drills and some free throws. So these guys were dead tired. And then we went and did this. And they were complaining and they were, you know, making excuses. I go, well, the JV just did the conditioning. They're in no different situation than you. I said, just stop complaining about it and just stop them. They're the JV. And it was a lot of um, getting on them and convincing them that they could do it. Yeah. But about ha halfway through, they got a couple stops in a row. And then I talked to them and the clock kept running. You know, so I was kind of playing along like, hey, you're getting stops. And I, now I'm going to talk to you for 20 more seconds. Those first five minutes, the clock never moved. It was lane slide, play 15 seconds of defense, lane slide. And um, I'll, in my opinion, uh, that drill, and then we'd do the same thing on offense, and then we'd have to run double down and backs for turnovers and bad shots and, and nothing if they took a good shot and crashed the boards, you know, just gave them some things. This is what we got to have every time. And by about the third, we, we did it three days. By about the third day, they, they just got through it. That first day, it took a long time. And so now everyone knows we're going to do that at some point. And uh, I tend, I think I almost overused it a little bit, um, but I, I, I don't think you can. I, I just don't think it's good to overuse it. It's something you pull out because here's the deal. They don't know what they're capable of yeah. until you show them. And I always use the story, um, I made my dad mad and we lived on a farm and we had open gym and we were seven miles out. And I had a Schwinn with a big fat tire, you know? <laughs> and my dad said, you can't go to basketball. I go, you mean you're not, let, you're not letting me drive or you're not driving me in? No, all right, I'm riding my bike. So gravel road, then main highway, I got killed, but I drove my bike and I, I used to think seven miles on a bike, that's like doing the marathon. And then, you know, as I got a little older and got a real bike, you know, you go on a 35, 40 mile ride, it's no big deal. So, you know, we, it, you, your mind tells you something is a huge mountain until you climb it and you realize, well, it's just a hill, you know? And, and I think that's probably the hardest thing to do with, kids and so this drill kind of showed them you're capable of more you know and so we do a lot of things like that like we'll go we did we do a fast break drill where it's a got a, we have a 12 second shot clock and you do two and a half trips so you're on offense three times so we set goals you know how many times are we going to score how many points can they score we get done with it. it's a, it's an awesome conditioner if you do that for five minutes, they run way more than you think. And, but we're, we're throwing numbers out there all the time. Well, we need to score 24 and five, five, you know, not five possessions. It's really 15, but we need to score 24 points and they can't score eight, you know? And, and so we do a lot of that stuff. Um, we probably have 10 or 15 drills like that where get it done or we do it over or, hit your goal or, or, or something good's not going to happen or something good, good is going to happen if you hit. Uh, I do caution. They, on paper, they look great. If you do them every day, all the time, they lose their effectiveness. Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, that's great, Coach. I think that um, challenge of, you know, showing kids, you know, playing hard, but just knowing how hard they really can play is something that can be really challenging at times. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'll ask you, Coach, uh, a little bit of offense and stuff too. You know, talk about being a motion team all the time. Maybe that's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, I know that can be a challenge for a lot of coaches to, within the game, give that control up to their players where they're truly running motion and need to make the correct decisions. Um, how have you maybe handled that over the years? Uh, and then what do you feel like you guys do well to teach uh, those types of things? Well, we, we, um, I, here's the deal. I'm a nervous coach. I'm nervous during the game. And if I have to sit there and figure out what plays to call, I wouldn't be good at it. So you have to teach the guys what we're looking for. You know, the biggest problem is they think you're playing slow if you've reversed the ball two times, which in motion is about 15 seconds, mm -hmm. you know. And so we do a lot of, I might put 20 seconds on the clock and say, okay, great execution. If you get a layup, you get to take it. If you got a wide open shot, show me you got a wide open shot, but move the ball. And let's see how many wide open shots we can get in 20 seconds. Once you've got to actually have your offense in and you, your guys got to learn concepts to get people open. But once we did that, uh, that really started to show them, you don't have to take that first halfway decent look. Um, and we, so we do that a lot. Uh, I do a lot of offense without any dribble. And then we, then we add dribble to improve pass angle or to finish a post move or one direct line dribble. Uh, we do a lot of that because what happens is you know, a lot of times you get a kid who's just a ball stopper and in motion, that's, that's not good. We run set plays. Uh, you know, uh, my, my assistant, Paul Runquist is better at it. I'm really okay figuring out how to run stuff when I'm watching film and it's Saturday morning yep. and I'm not so good during the game. So I go, these are the sets I think will work. What do you think? He keeps a little card in his pocket and he, I go call play. It's time to call play. Cause when your motion is bad, you probably got to call play. Um, and you know, I probably had, I don't know if anybody's ever coached any better kid with a mid-range game than Wyatt Lowhouse. I mean, he was just unbelievable. And of course, the, the trends in basketball are mid-range is garbage, which <laughs> just cracks me up, you know. But um, so we put in a bunch of Princeton stuff and Wyatt was really good. If you got him the ball on a wing with a ball screen and a live dribble, he just never sped up. He just read that defense. And he could get a shot off that probably any time he wanted. And then the other thing, you know, there, when Wyatt was playing, our, our big nemesis was Bettendorf. And Bettendorf switches every screen. And Wyatt would just run motion, and he would figure out how to rub off a big guy, and they'd switch a big on him, and then he would go. Yep. He'd get a 10-footer whenever he wanted. And, and you don't always have guys like him, though. You know, you don't always have guys who understand. But you do have guys who can do certain things, and you have to figure out a way to, to get them into those positions. And that, that you hope you can do that in motion, but you're going to have to probably have a few set plays. And I, I'm really, I'm, I've been so intrigued with the Princeton and the Princeton hybrid that I've gravitated towards doing some of those because they just, they've been kind of fun to put in. And, and again, you know, the last, 10, 15 years of my career, about every two years, I look and try to find something new that I want to mess around with. I don't think we've changed our personality a whole lot, but, but I think, you know, it's good for me. It's good for the kids to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach, I'll ask, I, I guess I don't know how much zone you guys see, but does that stuff change very much uh, when you see zone or does it really become even more relevant to be patient and or I shouldn't say patient necessarily, but to find the correct spots and when to hit and get the ball side to side, et cetera. Yeah. Our zone offense is probably the simplest 
thing. I actually, I did a little YouTube for the uh, IBCA last year. And um, if anybody wants to learn what we're doing and then they'll go, oh my gosh, that's it, you know? <laughs> but it, it's truthfully more about just understanding how zone defenses work. Yep. And, and then it's a little technique. We spend a lot of time with our, we call it a mid, mid post and a short corner. Their, tech, their footwork and their technique is key. If I can get guys to really have good technique in those two spots, it's really, really hard to guard. Yep. When, when that doesn't work, you can almost be assured that the team is matching up. You know, they're just matching up. Well, then we go back to our, our read and react motion, and we just we call it hook and hold. And we just run our motion, and every time we pass, we sit in the high post. We've got a short corner in there permanently. And that is really, really hard to guard with a matchup. They just cannot deal with those cutters. Yeah. So we do use our motion uh, concept. Ball reversal is is every bit as important against zone. Uh, and we run a few sets against zone too. Paul loves those. So we put those in. They're effective. You know, I've had kids who could throw a, a lob and I had, I've had several kids that could go up and get it against zone and they're pretty effective against zone. People tend not to zone us. Um, the one thing I did a long time ago, there was a guy that came and spoke and I'm, I'm saying IBCA a lot, so that's good at the <laughs> clinic. And he talked about how he didn't think high school programs shot enough during practice. Mm -hmm. And I really took that to heart. Now, it coincided with having uh, Jeremy Morgan and Dondre Alexander and Wyatt Lowhouse. And, I mean, so if we shot teams during that period of time, their strategy to beat us was sit in a zone and hope we miss. So my theory was we're going to be as good a shooting team as we can. So we probably shoot 20, 25 minutes every practice. Yeah. And um, we, we do some form stuff. We do some uh, live stuff. We do some competitive stuff. And uh, I like what we do to get ready. A lot of those girls, uh, Gordon brought. And uh, when I told him we just need to shoot more in practice, he's like, heck yes. You know, he's an offensive first kind of guy. And he loved that. And he gave me a bunch of shooting drills and we incorporated them. But we, we have had teams that were not good shooting teams, but it wasn't from lack of putting the time in. You know, when you get to February and March, we're probably shooting 30 minutes every day. Yeah. You know, and only practicing an hour and a half. So uh, I'm a big believer in, in, in a lot of shooting. Now there's shooting and then there's mindless shooting. And so we talk a lot with our guys. Well, that's just mindless shooting you're doing there. You're not getting any better. That's not game-like. That's There's no purpose for what you're doing there. And, um, you know, it's like working on rocker step moves or one-on-one -on -one moves and you travel every time. Yeah. It doesn't make very much sense. So I like to think if you came to our practice, you'd say, they don't waste much time. Yeah. Uh, that, that actually was a byproduct of Iceland where they would say, okay, today all you have is a half court and one basket. Okay, today you got the whole gym with six baskets. I got very good at figuring out how to use the space and the time. And I just, uh, I know it goes back to somebody, Bobby Knight probably, if a drill takes four guys to do, have one extra guy, you know, don't, don't, if I go and watch somebody else practice and I see guys stand in line for 40 seconds between repetitions, it drives me crazy. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, Coach. I, I like that reference to the ice, and I feel like there's nothing's put pressure on me. Like when we have a wrestling meet and we can't use the gym, and so you get just, you know, you get 45 minutes and you got to see what you can get done in that amount of time. And uh, that kind of stuff, I think, really improves coaches. Uh, I'll ask Coach one more question on the offensive side, and then it'll be about time for us to go. Um, how do you balance that uh, practice time when you're talking about motion versus set plays? Uh, come from a place where I think, you know, teaching that motion takes a lot of time. Uh, but how do you balance that of, oh, we also may, need to make sure we know what the set plays are and can execute those when necessary? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, last year, um, again, weird circumstances. 
but we did not run a set play right our first 10 games. I mean, literally one guy messed up every time. And so we finally just said, okay, what are we going to run? What do we need to run for the guys we have? And let's just focus on those and make sure they know those. And I've had that before where guys kind of know them, but they they didn't know how to execute them right. You know, they're running them sloppy. So we've gone to where we break down the part that's sloppy and we do it for 20 minutes one day. Um, our motion, once it's in, is pretty self-sustaining. I mean, it, it's not like you, the old motion where you had to work on reading and, and cutting, that's not there. I know read and react, the word read and react, but there's very little reading in read and react. If a guy screens, you cut. And we're, we're and every screen's basically a back screen. Yep. Um, you know, we, we do do some downstream, but it's just because a kid is a bad cutter. He never cuts hard. So it's like, just go screen away. And we tell that guy to curl every time. So we don't do a lot of reading. But once we get that in, we at least have something decent. And the beauty of that is, uh, and probably something I should have said a long time ago, we will always run motion because it helps our defense get better. Yep. I cannot imagine these teams that run all sets or a continuity offense, and that's all they defend every day. We defend, you know, people making at least a few decisions. And and um, I, I just think that's been good for our defense. So that's another reason we'll always run some motion. But once we get it in, we're practicing our motion while we're practicing our defense. And Rick Torbett talked about that all the time, you know, just collapsing. I, I don't even know how he said it, but he would say you can collapse the time because you're working on two or three things at once. And that is true. Like the best shell drill we ever have is we just go four out pass and cut on offense. Like you're changing your defensive position every second. And if you don't jump to the ball, your guy scores, you know, so you're learning lots of really good things. But I think it would shock people, you know, we are a defensive first team, but I would still say two thirds of our practice time spent on offense. Yeah, absolutely. Offense is hard to teach. And, um, you know, but we've, we, I've had teams, it was funny. I had a kid named Isaiah Fillard who plays baseball at Iowa now. And Isaiah could throw a lob pass in his sleep. And of course he had Patrick McCaffrey to throw it to and Sabian Sims and, so we ran all these lob plays for uh, for Patrick and Sabian, and I don't think Isaiah ever – and Connor could do it as well as Isaiah. So we had two guys that could throw a lob pass in their sleep. Well, the next year I still had Sabian and another big kid. I still had Patrick. We did not complete one lob pass the whole year. <laughs> it's just amazing what you take for granted sometimes – this kid can just do that. So you assume everybody can do that. So we were practicing spot lobs, you know, and uh, the one kid who I tried to get to do it was the Gatorade player of the year as a quarterback in Iowa. So you'd think he could do it. He'd hit the, you know, we were playing in a college. He hit the shot clock. He threw it over the backboard. And the next kid I put in was not comfortable doing it either. It, so, you know, as much as you think some things are really easy to teach, some kids aren't, aren't going to do them well. And, and that's, for me, that's not his fault. That's my fault for just assuming he can do it. But he gets spoiled when you have guys like Connor McCaffrey and Isaiah. And they hit that lob pass every time, you know? Absolutely. Well, Coach, um, thank you for sharing. I'll, I'll leave you with one question here and ask, you know, if there's anything you want to say, anything – Maybe I didn't ask that I've left out to share with any coaches who might be listening to this. Yeah, just uh, if, if there's anything, I'm sure by now most people have moved on to a podcast about politics or something, but <laughs> if they're still listening, you know, the biggest mistake I made was I had early success and I kind of just coasted for four or five years. And I don't know what woke me up, but it did. And, I, and I've always been a guy who, you know, I, I was watching YouTube videos this morning of some Princeton stuff. I'm just intrigued. I've watched your video about fast break. And someday I may, I may talk to you about that because we're messing around with our fast break right now. And, 
And I, I just, it, it's really, really important that uh, you stay, you know, intellectually uh, interested in finding new things, just even for you, but for your players too, because things change all the time. I don't think you need to, you know, everybody wants to run ball screen. If you don't run a ball screen, you're not a real coach. Well, there's a lot of program. There's college programs that don't run a lot of ball screens. It, it, it's, it's just interesting to me uh, that I was that way, and 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 I'm glad I kind of got past it. So I would say to any coach that, and and you know, young coaches I think are in a tough spot with AAU and and. Uh, social media and parents who think they know how to coach. And I just, I'd like to have more guys coach when they're my age. I'm afraid I'm kind of a dinosaur. And I don't, I've, I've had, I've mentored some young coaches and they're not coaching anymore. And I think they just have to learn how to deal with uh, in a good way, telling players no, because players don't like to be told no, but they'll respect you. You know, they'll see it at some point that you told them no for the right reason, you know. And and so yeah, I've talked to some older coaches and and that is our worry is we need young coaches, just like we need young referees to be getting in the game. We need young coaches to stay in the game and stay excited about coaching because, um, you know, I think there's a I know a lot of, th- you know, I know a lot of things just because I've been around a long time. Not because I'm any smarter than anybody, but you know, I think some of the things I could share with the younger coach are good, and some of the things a younger coach could share with me would be great too. I just hope that people get to continue doing something they obviously love. I absolutely, coach. Uh, some great advice there. Um, but we're getting to the end of it, so uh, I'll just thank you one last time for coming on and taking your time here today, uh, and look forward to watching you guys this upcoming season. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, like I said, I watched your team. Uh, you're going to have to replace that one guard. <laughs> yeah, that'd be <laughs> tough, Coach. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Have a good day. Yep. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us today.